everyone and gee it's good to be back here at the vocational education podcast it's been well years since we've uh, we've recorded but we're back on track having just uh, spent a few days at the national vet conference and speaking to an array of fantastic speakers presenters vet experts and more we'll have a great array of interesting information coming up over the next few weeks plus we'll be filling you in with some of the news that's happening around the industry as well having plugged into a couple of great LinkedIn groups and professional development groups. And of course, you'll be hearing a bit of my opinion from time to time as well. I like to interject every now and then and say how I'm feeling about a particular subject or share a story about a recent facilitation or, or RTO experience that we've had. But as always, your support is absolutely vital. So please subscribe, like the podcast on Apple iTunes or SoundCloud, and yeah, just get behind it and support it. The more support we get, the further the podcast can reach. And that's what we're really after. We want people in the vet sector to plug in and and get this great information, find out the news, find out where they can go for support, find out where they can plug into great information going forward as well, not just from the podcast, but from the podcast guests themselves. Uh, As always, you can contact me directly, dan at spectraining.edu.au with any sort of feedback or maybe ideas for upcoming shows. So without any further ado, let's go to the interviews. I'm very happy to have uh, the CEO of Skills Impact with me, Michael Hartman. Michael, how are you? It's great. Great to be here. Velg is a fantastic event and this year's been better than ever. It's fantastic. So if you didn't get the hint, we are recording this live at the the Velg National Conference. Um, Michael, tell me about um, what you've been doing here and and, uh, maybe a bit of background about Skills Impact. Yeah, so we're a um, not-for-profit industry-owned organisation and we're contracted by the federal government to write industry skill standards and qualifications. And these are the the tools that describe the outcomes that all of the training providers that come here today are delivering. Now we deliver in a particular area and we work with the agricultural industries and the supply chains that flow from them. Everything from timber, forestry, uh, grains, um, cows, horses, um, um, wine, beer, food. Um, so it's a really broad area but really important to our economy and we love having the opportunity of sitting down with industry and writing in a set format the way work should be done now and in the foreseeable future and that becomes a valuable tool for the RTOs that are you know come to places like Velg uh, for them to you know um, deliver to or deliver towards. So we're talking about the actual standards on TGA, yes. and these are the benchmarks and you work with industry to, to produce those uh, in alignment with what industry needs. Yes, okay, yes. So um, we don't get to choose what we work on. We have industry committees. They, we write on their behalf skills forecasts that describe everything that's going on in the industry. And then the industry and the government choose what are their priority areas. Uh, for example, in our um, animal care and management training package, uh, we have just been uh, provided with a project to look at handling crocodiles, which is designed to support the crocodile farming industry, which is really a, a international leather industry. The, le- the le- crocodile leather goes to you know the top fashion houses across the world, and um, this is, comes out of Northern Territory, and we'll be ri- writing the work standards for how is the proper way to safely and correctly uh, deal with crocodiles. So really interesting work. Isn't that interesting? Goodness mm. me. And, and it's a very specific industry, but definitely one that um, benefits the country. And we, we heard, as you said correctly yesterday uh, at the opening of the Velg Conference from uh, both the NCBER and ASQA and the Minister, and, um, and everyone seemed to be really uh, focused on uh, quality outcomes for the students. Yes. 
how do your products ensure, and it's kind of an open-ended question, ensure that people are attaining those minimum quality levels? And well, we write our materials, which are you know the standards, to a set formula, and that set formula is well understood by training providers and ASQA. And the main main quality challenges really is downstream from that is how do training providers write their TASs? Yeah, you know, their, yeah um, training assessment strategies. Yeah, yes, yeah. and. Um, and how, the, how do they take students on a student journey. But we're intensely interested by that student journey because when we write, when we write our training standards on behalf of industry, we're really working with industry to set expectations of what a person can do when they complete training. And obviously for those expectations to be met, the, um, the um, the training sector has to deliver as close as they can to that and we think that's very challenging and so I get the opportunity of presenting to Velg after lunch today and I'll be talking about some of these challenges and how the vet sector could change to be much better than it is now because what we find is that there's a lot of really good people working very hard in this sector um, but they're working almost against a system that is making it incredibly difficult for them. And my presentation's about what are those challenges, but it's not, it's not just a series of problems. What we actually do is identify some very simple solutions that we're hoping will influence um, policy. And part of presenting at, at um, conferences like VELG is testing those ideas. Those ideas come from industry. Um, we deal with hundreds of industry representatives and representatives of training organisations every week and um, and they tell us what's wrong. It's very easy for us to see into their world and for us to say well this could be better. Quite often it's easier than they than they because um, they're you know really focused on their day-to-day -day activities and we can um, afford the time to take a sort of more holistic um, approach and see where the problems are and where potentially the solutions lay. Yeah, well I think you just addressed a question I had which was how closely do you uh, work with the training organisations mm. then to get that feedback that you're looking for um, to say how this is actually being delivered and it sounds like very closely is the answer to that. Yeah, when we get a project <laughs> one of the first things we do is we go into TGA which has got a list of all of the training providers that have got particular qualifications on scope. On scope. Mm. And then we email to all of those training organisations saying we're about to start this project work. So you know, are you interested? Sign up to our newsletter. It, it's free, and we'll keep you up to date. And there's an opportunity for you to interact and give us your feedback on our draft materials. Yeah. One of our frustrations is those emails go out to all the RTOs, but quite a lot of RTOs are quite large, and we still find. Yes, yeah. lost in the system. Yeah, yeah. and we find yeah. towards the end of a project, uh, you know, there'll be an RTO that we have communicated with and there'll be a trainer quite expert in the area we're working on and they'll say, I didn't know you were doing this work. And yeah. um, so yeah. we encourage everyone who, who delivers qualifications in the areas where we're contracted by the government to write them to just sign up to the newsletter because our newsletter, our monthly newsletter, will always let people know what we're working on. Yeah. And a, a brief scan of that newsletter, and we try and keep it really simple um, and short, will tell you what we're working on. Well, to all the listeners there who have training packages on their scope or these qualifications on their scope who are listening to this, we'll encourage them. Come on, listen. Uh, go back to, to uh, Skills Impact. Make sure you have your input because you only get a chance every few years in the cycle yeah, yeah that's exactly so, uh, right. so yeah. if they don't get in now if they don't yeah. get in when you're working on a project um, they can't really 
complain afterwards that they didn't meet their uh, the standards or didn't meet what they do within their role. Yes. So um, it's a a two-way street, so yeah. to speak. Would you agree? And, and certainly, while our job is to write the way work is performed um, by industry, yeah, a lot of training providers are expert at what knowledge it takes to do that work. More expert than a lot of people in industry. Yeah. Um, industry is full of unconsciously competent performers. Mm. And while we talk to them and they've got great um, knowledge, a lot of their knowledge is hidden Tassel. below the surface. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and we find that um, really good trainers quite often actually say, you know, and know a lot about um, what we need to put in units of competency. Mm particularly about qualifications constructs and also what is possible for them to deliver because we don't want to put together a qualification uh, construct that industry looks at and said, wow, that's spot on, we like it, and training providers go, we can't deliver it. Yeah, it's too hard to deliver. Yes, <laughs> it's yep, too complicated exactly. or too long yeah. or too short or whatever, yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic. So when, we're, um, when you're getting to that final stage and the project's almost complete, um, how do you trial that then? How do you trial the actual, or, or is it just a, a, an editing process through government? How, how does that work? We do two things. One is we, um, when we get a project, we go seeking subject matter experts and we have meetings with subject data ma um, matter experts that describe the work. You know, we'll be doing that with crocodile farmers shortly. Yeah. But, you know, that's a niche uh, market. <laughs> We're also doing conservation and land management, um, green roofs and, and, um, and walls in the landscaping sector, more and more uh, vegetation is growing on the outside of buildings or on top mm. of buildings. Mm. Um, so we, we gather subject matter experts together and we find them by talking to all the industry associations and industry key players and they say, you need to speak to that person, you need to speak to that person. And that gives us the capacity to draft materials and then we put them on our website and we seek feedback on those draft materials. Okay. And it's really important because if you're a training provider and you're going to be writing your materials on the units that we're constructing, you know a lot about what they look like and you get to see the new version in draft and give us our feedback. We've got an online portal that allows people to give that feedback in, a, in as easy a way as possible. And then we collect all that feedback, we rewrite and we put it out again for validation. Have we got this right? Yeah. And we normally do get tidies up there. Ideally, we don't get a complete rewrite. Ideally, people say, yeah, that's almost right, but what if you did this? And yeah. so then we go through a validation feedback process and then we um, finally publish. Before we publish it has to go to industry reference committees, they have to sign off on it, it has to go to the Australian Industry Skills Committee, a government committee made up of state and federal governments and they ultimately sign off on it. Yeah. Then we load it up, we get permission to load it up onto TGA, training.gov.au and then it goes live and, and, that's um, it. and, and then training providers have you know six months to one year to swap to the new the new standards. Yeah. And how long do those standards stay in place before you start the review cycle again? Um, we normally, we've got an open feedback system and if the standards are fit for purpose, they could go three, four or five years. Um, in a rapidly changing industry, ideally every three years they get looked at. Mm. We do look at them every three years, but quite often the, the look means there's no need to change this. Yeah. Um, one of the things I'll be talking about this afternoon is that um, everyone's talking about how rapidly the world of work is changing. Mm. But we actually, and they, they, and they do research based on job adverts mm. and, um, and a whole range of academic studies about how rapidly the world of work is changing. We actually, every day of the week virtually, we're meeting with industry experts 
that tell us about their work and we write that up and so we get a first-hand example to see how the world of work is changing and our observations is it's not changing as rapidly as as people think they are so for yeah. example you know we look after farms and the farming sector farms have got fences they've had fences for hundreds of years those fences need to be looked after maintained uh, the difference is now rather than driving around and doing a fence inspection a farmer can actually put a drone in the air and fly in a drone along their fence line they can have the drone programmed so it follows the fence line yeah. and they can review the footage whenever they like after hours and see if their fences have you know maintaining their integrity mm -hmm. so there's still a fence system in place it still needs to be maintained the work is the same but yeah. there's a new tool that they can use that saves everyone time and money so in the old the old way of writing training packages that might be one of the uh, the uh, portions of the um, I'm gonna forget what they're called now um, oh, they're no longer in the streamlined training packages uh, would have been the range statement. Thank that, you, yes. thank you, the range statement. Yeah, just escaped my mind for a minute. So that would have been one of the things in the range statement, yes. which is the thing that changed so so frequently. Yes. Whereas now your standards would just say, you know, it needs to be inspected. Yes. And the way they do that, well, that's kind of up to the training provider. Yes, because and, and yeah. that does bring about a, a challenge because ultimately once qualifications have been issued, it's really hard to tell whether someone has been trained in drone use as part of that unit yeah. or whether they've been trained to you know, use a quad bike to inspect fences. And um, it is one of our absolute challenges in doing this work is we have to cover old technology to get the job done and brand new technology. Mm. And, um, and that, that really does stretch the system, but it also stretches uh, provider capacity as well. Mm. You know, very good providers uh, training people in the way things are still being done and have been done for the last 15 years and then there's providers who come in and train things in the latest technology mm. and both are equally as important because not every business swaps to the new technology yeah, and you know we also deal with large manufacturing plants and if they build technology you know they build a whole new plant in the you know in the 90s that plant's going to be around for another 50 years and they'll bolt on new bits of technology mm. but it's, uh, so much of the work stays the same and if you open your eyes to the world of work conferences like this I've been coming to these sorts of conferences for 30 years or so mm. um, we're sitting in a booth we've got banners behind us we've got audio visual equipment this sort of gear has been around for 30 years and the people putting it in place have been around however we've also got now the added luxury of doing things like a podcast on site yeah. which you could not do uh, seven or eight years ago yeah, exactly so it's right. really you know the base of work stays the same and then there's uh, changes around the fringes mm. and that's a very different picture than what is often promoted that the world is being completely disrupted and the world of work is being turned on its head we see the world of work firsthand from industry experts and it's not changing dram as dramatically as people say it is. Not to say that when change occurs it isn't dramatic, it's just, you sure. know, 80% might stay fairly consistent and it's the 20% that is hitting with impact. Yeah. You know, Uber and taxis, that's a big deal, but there's still a driver behind a wheel and you're still paying a fare and they're getting you from A to B. Yeah. So it's brand new technology, it's disruptive, but it's still a person in a car getting you from A to B. Yeah, for a price. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for that. a price, yeah. yeah. Um, so even people point towards, Uber's a good example, but people point towards smartphones as being such a disruptive thing to industry mm -hmm. and then every, every time, or work, workers I should say, and then every time a new app's released, oh what a disruption, what a disruption. Well from what you're saying, it's, it's not a disruption, it's just an iterative change to make 
things maybe easier, more streamlined, smoother, whatever. Yes. So it, where would you address, uh, address that? Would it be like in the packaging rules or would you actually have to add something to a unit of competency or add a new unit in there, like say for oh, drone flying? Um, well, we've got yeah, we've got particular you know approaches to do that, and, and really we're after indus, industry. Industry makes the decisions, and while the government would really like to keep the numbers of units as low as possible, there's more than eighteen thousand. It's a real uh, challenge, but with modern day technology, holding vast amounts of data is no longer the, that bigger challenge. And really, it's up to industry to decide. Quite often, the solution is we want two units, one unit left largely the same to cover the way it used to be done and is still being done and is likely to be done for the next 20 years, and another unit that shows the opportunities of doing it using high technology that will only be available um, for um, a certain type of farm. For example, dairy farms. There are fully robotic dairy farms now where a person, a cow and through the milking process doesn't come in contact with a person. The cows are weighed, their temperatures are changed, their nutritional requirements are taken care of by a computer because the cows have got tags on them. So the, the feeding machine and, the, and the, um, the machinery extracting milk from the cow knows what cow they're, um, they're, they're milking and knows what cow they're feeding and keeps accurate records on a cow-by-cow -cow basis. So that is out there, um, there's you know about 15 or so of these fully robotic dairies, the cows like them, the milk um, quality is better and the volume's better, the cows are more relaxed because people spook cows. But those dairies are running alongside of the traditional dairies with, that have got a lot of people interaction. So how do we manage that? Well, in reality, we have to have separate units of competency dealing with the different ways. But they're still producing milk and they're still, uh, you know, having to look after cows in order to, to produce that milk. There are things that won't change, for example, the pasture. Doesn't matter robotic dairy, non-robotic dairy, you still have a pasture that you need to look after. Milk quality ultimately comes down to the quality of the pasture. So every dairy farmer is intensely interested in the, in the soil and in what grows in their soil and how they feed their cows. And so one of our projects we've got at the moment is a new diploma in agronomy, which is all about soil science and how things grow, which will be a great interest to the sector. The sector hasn't had a diploma in agronomy. It's been a university course up till now, but the sector said we need to understand and work on a more practical hands-on level on the topic of agronomy rather than just leaving it all up to science boffins in universities. Yeah, it's, it's a work skill. Yes, yeah, that's absolutely. right, yeah. Well, if um, people listening would like to uh, contribute, get in touch with, seek feedback or advice from you, how would they get in touch with you? Well, our website's the, the best um, way, and we have people that specialise in different areas of the industry, and um, so if you just fill out a form on our website, someone, the right person in our organisation will contact you, that person will be friendly, will be engaging and will be interested in what you have to say about our work and about the vet sector because it's one of our key tools we use to gather information about what's working in the vet sector and what's not working in the, in the vet sector. And uh, your website is? Uh, skillsimpact.com.au Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Michael. It's been very insightful. We haven't spoken to somebody who actually develops the training packages yet, so... Uh, those Again, those people listening, it's great to hear that insight into how you engage with industry, how you engage with training providers. And those training providers out there who are listening, you heard it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> That's appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that um, they, they're being developed with the intent of really making them a useful tool for workers for today and the future.
Yes, that's right, Dan, and it's been a pleasure talking to you about what we love doing. Love it, Michael. Thank you very much. great to catch up with Michael at the conference and uh, get that insight into how training packages are written and the sort of consultation that goes into getting them right. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. You can go to Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud to get the information. You can follow us on SoundCloud or you can go to our website, spectraining.edu.au and click on podcasts.